Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hello and welcome to Lux Digital Church. My name is Mark and I'm the pastor here at Lux. And man, we're thrilled to have you with us tonight. We're so excited that you decided to give up part of your Wednesday evening and come hang out with us, especially if you're live and especially if you're a first time guest. And let me just say, unlike a lot of the other streams on Twitch, we genuinely would really like to get to know you. We're not just looking for your number as a spectator. We're not just, we really deeply, deeply desire to engage with you, to get to know who you are, to get to know our community. So can I just invite you to join us on Discord tonight after service? On Discord, there's going to be a welcome room. If you go to our Discord, you go to our community guidelines, you give us a quick thumbs up. It'll give you access to the welcome room. You jump into that welcome room and Doc is going to be out there after service tonight to hang out with you in a voice chat. If you're not comfortable with that, you don't have to do it. But we just want to get to know you. We'd love to learn your name, hear a little bit about your story, what brought you to Lux, and just welcome you into our community in the best way that we know how. And that is just welcoming you in with just an open arm, a face, a smile, and a quick conversation. So we'd love to have you come and join us. And if you're catching us later, whether that be on podcast or that's on VOD or over YouTube, we're so thankful for you as well. You're part of our church family, and we love you, and we're thankful for you. But we also want to invite you to join us live on Wednesday nights at twitch.tv slash Lux, L-U-X, Digital Church. Every Wednesday night at 8.30, we're live over there. It's great to be in joining with us later, but it's even better if you can join live in the chat with the community because we really do interact with the community and hang out with one another. So thank you guys so much for being here. We appreciate you. Right now, we're in a series called New Beginnings, Freedom and Fruit, and I believe we're in part four of about like a 10 or 11 part series. It's a pretty long series because we're looking at the book of Galatians from beginning to to end. That's right. If you tune in for each one of these messages, you will not only read the book of Galatians, a portion of the Bible from beginning to end, but this rather small, you know, handful of page section of the Bible, you will gain a better understanding of it, hopefully a better understanding of it than you've ever had before as we work our way through it and teach it. In the last couple of weeks, we've gone through uh, Galatians 1 and Galatians 2 over three weeks, and you can actually go back and grab those videos on YouTube if you would like to catch up, because we've gone over a lot of the foundational elements that we're going to use to build off of in the weeks to come. In fact, we focused a lot on freedom. Specifically, we focused on spiritual freedom. And beyond that, a lot of sort of the lofty theology that goes along with what Christians believe, with what the church has taught, with what the Bible teaches, and what we've been preaching about for the last 2,000 years inside the church is really wrapped up a lot in Galatians chapters 1, 2, and Galatians chapter 3. So there's some pretty lofty stuff. In fact, next week, man, I am so excited because one of my favorite things to do is to take lofty and and maybe difficult to comprehend concepts that are brought about in the Bible and, and, and just get those things to a place where we can all grab hold of them, right? Let's get the cookies on the bottom shelf. Let's get it to a place where we can all grab hold of them. And next week, we're really going to be wrapping up this whole theological conversation about how is somebody saved? How does somebody come to faith in Jesus? What does that mean? And why is it important? It all comes together next week in the middle section of Galatians chapter three. Guys, I'm super pumped. I wrote the message yesterday. I've been psyched to give it. I was almost like, I almost accidentally uploaded everything to preach the wrong message tonight because I was so excited to preach week five. 
although I am excited for week four as well. But in this series, before we jump into even the first verse, I want to go over the overarching theme or question that we have, which is this. Throughout this whole series, we're asking one question, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? This is the question that has been asked by faith, by religion, and by humanity for probably as long as humanity has existed. From the very beginning, we have been asking this question, how good is good enough? How, how good is good enough to get into heaven? How good is good enough to not go to hell? How good is good enough to appease the gods of rain and harvest for a bountiful crop? How good is good enough to appease the sun god to rise each morning? How good is good enough to be able to get a better place in reincarnation, to be born as a better and more divine being? How good is good enough to either get the eyes of the deity on me or the eyes of the deity off me? How good is good enough to be able to receive the rewards of this life? It's the question that religion has been asking. In fact, it's probably one of the most, if not the most, central question of all of religion is how good is good enough. And on top of that, what does the faith, what does the teaching, what does the religion gauge as good or as not good? What are the rules that we need to follow? What are the things that we need to do? And this was the question that the Galatians were asking, how good is good enough? What do we have to do in order to inherit eternal life? Now, when we talk about the Galatians, what we're talking about is a small network of new churches that were planted by a man named Paul. In fact, the entire book of Galatians, which we're going over chapter by chapter, verse by verse throughout this series, was written by that same guy, Paul. He traveled around the Middle East, he started churches, and then he wrote letters to those churches. And from one of those churches called Ephesus in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, he wrote a letter called the letter, what we call now the letter of Galatians. We break it down into chapters and verses, but when it was originally written, it wasn't broken down into chapters and verses. It was just a letter, a letter of rebuke and a letter of instruction, a letter of encouragement as well for these network of small churches. This letter was to be replicated or to be passed from one church to the next and to be read at each of them. And why? Well, because they had fallen for a trap, a trap that many of the new churches and new Christians had. See, the Galatian churches were full of primarily Gentiles, which basically means non-Jewish people. They were people who weren't of Jewish nationality, Jewish faith, or Jewish descent, who came to faith in Jesus. And when they came to faith in Jesus, uh, they accepted and embraced this concept of being saved by faith through grace, something that Paul preached, something that James preached, something that Peter preached, something that was intrinsically unique to the fabric of the church. And they became members of what was known as the way. The way was just another way to refer to Christians before they were called Christians. Before we were called Christians, we were called members of the way. We were viewed as some of like offshoot or sect or strange section of Judaism until we got considered something else entirely and were thrown out of the concept of Judaism completely. And a lot of it was over the exact things that we're going to be talking about tonight and the exact things that we have been talking about. But basically what had happened was a grouping of Jews had come to the churches that Paul had planted in modern day Turkey and they had convinced them that it was not just faith in Jesus that they needed to be saved, but they needed to become Jews before they could put their faith in Jesus. And Paul, in chapter 1 and 2, defends himself adamantly against this accusation and says it isn't, it isn't becoming a Jew and being circumcised and then faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus and nothing else because that's what the Bible teaches and that's what Jesus taught. 
And Paul's going to dive deep into that tonight. And I love what he has to say throughout this entire thing. Let's take a look at the first handful of verses in chapter 3, starting in verse 1 of the book of Galatians. If you want to follow along with us, there's actually a link in the Discord uh, right now that you can grab, uh, that Salty's throwing up there, that you can grab Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and follow along with us tonight. It says this, O foolish Gentiles, who cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Now, let me ask you, this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. No, you received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Now I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles amongst you? Because you obey the law. Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. That is Jesus. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. See, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Let's stop here a minute and just take a second and unpack stuff because there's a lot that's going on in this specific passage. There's so much here, we really can't even get into all of it. But up until this point in Paul's letter, one thing is kind of unclear. It's not terribly clear if the Gentiles have actually bought in to these Jews who had come amongst them. But in chapter 3, it becomes pretty clear. Like, not only had the Gentile churches sort of embraced the teaching of these Jews, but they had implemented it, and they had been turned away from the teachings of Paul. In fact, the point was the Jews came to these communities in order to get people to quit listening to Paul. And they try to split the church from its spiritual father. And this was happening. And it was clear that it was happening to Paul. And Paul is now hearing rumors about the church no longer really wanting to have anything to do with him, likely. And he's getting these alarming reports, which is causing him to write this letter, right? The reason he writes this letter isn't just because there's Jews amongst the churches. The reason he's writing this letter is because the churches that he labored over all around Galatia during one of his missionary journeys are now turning away from the true faith and are betraying their trust in him. They're turning away from him. And so Paul is very clear in chapters 1 and 2 to paint a very good picture about the fact that these Jews are not to be trusted and that Paul's message is not only his message, it's the message of Jesus, and it's endorsed by James and Peter, which we talked about in the last couple of weeks. These guys are major hitters in the first church. They are the leaders of the church of Jerusalem. James leads the church in Jerusalem. Peter leads the church overall. If there was somebody who could endorse you and say your message has the right message, it was these guys. And they not only fully endorsed Paul, but they actually sent him out to preach to the Gentiles while Peter and James preached the message of Jesus to the Jews. And so there's this understanding that Paul is not only accepted by the church, He's embraced and fully a part of the church. And so he makes that really clear. But then he does something different because throughout all of this, he's been pointing to the Jewish law. He's been defending his reputation. He's been defending his teaching. And that's really where he's been. But there's something really different that happens in this passage because he turns it on the Jews. Not on the Jews, on the Gentiles, on, on, the, on the Christians in Galatia. And he says he really turns it back on their experience. Instead of looking at God's word, instead of looking at his teaching, instead of talking about James and Peter, he turns it instead and looks at their own experience. When he says this, let me ask you this one question. We're going to put this up on the screen. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you receive the Holy Spirit 
of obeying the law of Moses. And then Peter, and then Paul actually answers the question. He says, of course not. You receive the spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Now, I'm sweating. So sorry. And I'm a really forgetful person. I am. I, I'm, I'm like terribly forgetful, actually. I forget little things. Sometimes I forget really big things. A lot of times, like, my, my mind is always in the clouds. Like, I'm 10,000 foot up. Like, I'm thinking and I'm dreaming big. And because of that, I oftentimes miss, you know, rather small things. And, and honestly, this has been the case since I was a kid. If you would go into my parents' house whenever I was a child, you would know where I was up through my teenage years, 18, because I came through the house and I left a trail of junk. I just dropped stuff. When I came home from school, dropped the coat, dropped the shoes, dropped the backpack, dropped this, dropped that. And it's just like a trail of stuff going through our house because I just never thought to pick it up. I never remembered it. Whenever I was really young, we actually showed up for church one day in our minivan. And when we arrived, I announced to the minivan that I had forgotten to put on shoes. Like, literally walked to the car, rode in the car, got to church, went to get out from church into the asphalt parking lot. And was like, ah, man, I just don't got shoes on, right? And it's not like this has stopped. Like I've lost my keys countless times, lost my wallet, had to cancel all my cards, get new IDs multiple times. Like forgetting stuff is just in my nature. If you were in my stream a couple of weeks ago, you know, this year we celebrated my wife's 31st birthday. And when we celebrated her birthday, we went out to uh, a, uh, a cheesecake factory. And while we were there, we got hit by a rocking thunderstorm so intense that it actually knocked out power for the Cheesecake Factory. It wasn't going to be back on for six hours and they wouldn't open their coolers to where the cheesecake was. So we weren't able to get cheesecake, which is a terrible way to spend your birthday at a place that has cheesecake and then you don't get the cheesecake. But what is worse is that I, being a forgetful person, forgot to put the windows up in our car. And so when we got to our car, it was quite literally flooded front to back seats car seats dashboard touch screen cup holders ceiling inside of windshield everything soaking wet it was a very damp and relatively uncomfortable ride home honestly for more than one reason luckily now we can laugh about it but that's just the type of person that i am i'm terribly forgetful and i tell you that because we all are like the reality is you and I forget things from time to time. We forget stuff. We forget people. We forget things that were on the to-do list. We forget what we were supposed to grab at the grocery store. And, and some of us are more forgetful than others. Like I might lose my keys three times a day and you might lose your keys one time every five years. But the point is we all forget things. And then we make up for that by finding ways to help our memory be able to remember things. Things like writing stuff down. Maybe you write stuff down. Me, I have this. This is this is my planner. I'm, I'm literally, guys, I'm a slave to this thing. I know you can't really see what's on here right now, but I have an intricate way that I write things in every Monday morning and I cross it off and I check mark certain things, I cross out other things. I, I have a planner for every day of my life for the last 12 years. I can tell you where I was in 2009 on like, uh, September the 4th. Like that's how detailed I've been. I could tell you what I did that day, what homework I worked on, what activities I had because I kept these planners and then I keep a log because if I don't, I won't show up. If you ask me to do something and I don't put it in this planner, I'm not going to do it. I'll just forget it. There's no chance. If it, if, if church wasn't written in this planner, I probably wouldn't show up on Wednesday nights and Greg would have to preach. That's a, it's an exaggeration. I would remember this. This is a big one. But the point is 
I am a terribly forgetful person. And most of us do have seasons in life where we're forgetful. And now you may be, and, and, and in that, the, the, the first church had forgotten something that was really central. The church in Galatia had, had forgotten something. They had forgotten the Holy Spirit. You see, the church in Galatia had this divine moment with the Holy Spirit. Multiple, probably. In fact, if you look at the Word of God, you'll see the Holy Spirit work in supernatural ways. And the church in Galatia had experienced that over and over again. They had experienced the Holy Spirit move before they tried to obey the fall and follow the laws of Moses. And, and what Paul is saying here is, how could you forget? How could you forget? You embraced Jesus through faith. God accepted you by you receiving the Holy Spirit. Crazy, unbelievable, unexplainable, supernatural things happened in your midst, in your church, amongst your people. How are you going and forgetting about that and now adopting and embracing the rules and the regulations of the Jews to try to earn God's favor? Don't you know you had God's favor? How is it that you could forget? Now, here's the thing. You may not have any understanding of who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit's about. Maybe you have no experience with church. You're just going through the stream and you just popped in. You happen to be watching and hanging out with us during this segment. Or maybe you're like me and you grew up in a church that never talked about the Holy Spirit. Well, perhaps if you're at least slightly familiar with the church, you know that Christians believe in God and you know they believe in a man named Jesus who they claim is God's son. What you may not know is there's a third part called the Holy Spirit and we call this the Trinity. Now, I don't have time to dive into the theological implications of God who is three and also one. But the, just suffice it to say, Christians believe that God is three separate entities, three entirely unique beings, and at the same time is only and exclusively one being. God in three persons. But one of those three persons is the Holy Spirit. And if you grew up in the church, maybe you heard him called the Holy Ghost. Or maybe you kind of viewed him as like the wind that's in the trees. Or, or maybe even now you're kind of imagining the Holy Spirit being like the force from Star Wars. But the Holy Spirit is alive and working and real. But the Holy Spirit was given to the church. In fact, if you look at the Bible from beginning to end, you'll see chronicles of supernatural things that happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. And the Holy Spirit interacts differently with the Old Testament people than it does with the New Testament people. Because we see this event called Pentecost in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit falls on all people, not select people. Whereas you have the Holy Spirit on select people like David, like Solomon, like uh, Gideon. People who did supernatural, crazy things with their lives because they had the Holy Spirit on their lives. And then the Holy Spirit's given to all people in the church. And if you read the book of Acts in one sitting front to back, you'll realize that over and over again, there's these crazy, insane stories. And it's as though the people in the book of Acts experience the Holy Spirit's supernatural power every day of their lives. And the whole city of Jerusalem was filled with the preaching and the message about Jesus. And this wasn't because the people were great leaders. It wasn't because they were super popular. It wasn't because they were viral TikTokers. It was because of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that went with them. Where they went, people were healed. Where they went, people rose from the dead. 
Where they went, they spoke in languages they didn't know. Where they went, they prophesied and told people what was to come. Where they went, they speak, they spoke and preached with authority that they did not have. Secret knowledge that was not theirs. The Holy Spirit moved in Jerusalem, and in the same way, the Holy Spirit had moved in the churches in Galatia. But they had forgotten. And the reality is, in many times in our life, we forget. And one of the most awful things about the brokenness of our brains is our ability to forget the goodness of God. So often we get into a season of life where we're not sure where God is and we begin to intentionally forget or to justify away our experiences with God in the past. We forget about the goodness of God. You see this all the time with college students. They experience God in church and in youth group and church camp and retreats and they know the intimate power and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit and they're close to him. And when they go to college, they hear intellectual arguments for why God doesn't exist. And many of those are very convincing. And in order to support their intellectual engagement with how the world is, they justify away or intentionally forget about their divine encounters with the Holy Spirit, their divine encounters with God himself. I've watched so many friends over the years who have justified away their experiences with God, claiming that they were just high emotions or manipulation instead of realizing what they actually were because their experiences no longer fit their intellectual framework. And many of us who come back to faith, it's because we have one of those experiences again, and it's outside of our intellectual framework for who God is and how the world exists. But when we forget, it damages us. If you look at the story of the Israelites, the Israelites were a people who notoriously forgot. See, they were prisoners and slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And when they left Egypt underneath the leadership of a man named Moses, they had miraculous things happen. God provided for them. He split the Red Sea in half. He brought them into the wilderness. And once they're in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus, it actually tells us the people began grumbling and wanted to go back to Egypt to be slaves again because they were afraid of starving in the desert. And when they reached the promised land, which you can read in the book of Numbers, a land that God had promised to give to their forefather Abraham, which we'll discuss in a moment, a, a land that God promised to give them and they refused to enter it, God actually left them to wander in the desert for 40 years until a generation of them had died. Because when we forget about the goodness of God in our past, it puts us in a spiritual desert in the future. When we forget about our experiences with the Holy Spirit in the past, it leaves us wandering in a wasteland in the future. Listen, as somebody who went through a crisis of faith in college and walked away from God and then eventually came back, I can tell you with confidence, I'll never forget what it felt like to wander in that spiritual wasteland. And I can tell you, I know people who know God, who knew him intimately and who have wandered from the faith. They've forgotten the things of the past and they have been wandering in the wilderness for a very, very long time. There's nothing like being scorched and parched by a spiritual wasteland in your life. Paul continues this by talking about a man named Abraham. Now, Abraham is a big player, and we're going to talk about Abraham a lot next week because it's actually the story and the narrative of Abraham that pulls 
everything together. And it's it's so beautiful because you get to see, you got to be here next week. You get to see why the Jewish people thought the way they did about circumcision. And you also get to see the reason why the sacrifice of Jesus has nothing to do with what you can do and what you can't do. It has nothing to do with how bad you've been or how good you are because it displays so clearly in the life of Abraham what happens. And it's beautiful. But here's the truth. Abraham's a big player. He's considered the father of the Jewish faith, the father of the Christian faith, and in most circles, the father of the Muslim faith. Now, I personally am I'm not an expert in the Quran by a long shot. I don't know a lot about the Muslim faith, but I do know this. For the most part, they trace their lineage back to a man named Ishmael, who was the son of Abraham. Jews, Muslims, Christians all trace their spiritual lineage back to this one man who had an encounter with God. And there's this beautiful story that we're going to get into next week. But for now, let's look at the book of Galatians and see how Paul recounts and talks about this encounter with Abraham. It says this, what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. See, God proclaimed this good news to, here it is, Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture said, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is anyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Here Paul takes us the entire way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. And he highlights the life of Abraham. And see, there's this interesting story that he's referring to here. And he's actually going to dive deeper in in the next section of chapter 3, which we're going to capture next week. See, the, one of the important things you have to understand about Abraham is every Jew traced their lineage back to Abraham. If you couldn't trace your lineage back to Abraham, you weren't considered a Jew. There's actually a point where the Jews are exiled in Babylon, and when they return, there are people who come and say that we are part of the lost tribes. There was tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. Some of them were lost. They said they were lost tribes, but because they couldn't trace their lineage back to Abraham, they are rejected and not considered Israelites, and much of the nation in Israel is considered completely lost. That's how important the lineage of Abraham is. It's huge for the Jews. It's huge. If you can't trace your lineage to Abraham, then you can't be saved. You can't have a place in God's kingdom. You aren't a part of his people. And when people would be circumcised, it would be symbolic saying that I am now a child of Abraham, which is why it's so important and it's so cool. It's so, anyway, what Paul is pointing to here is that Abraham has this encounter with God. In fact, the book of Genesis tells us, I think it's Genesis chapter 12, tells us that there's this point where Abraham meets with God. And, and I kind of get the image of like it's at night and God's in the sky. And I, I picture like the scene from The Lion King where Simba is coming out of the jungle and he talks to Mufasa who comes out of the clouds. And, and there's, this, there's this 
connection between father and son lion and and Simba accepts his destiny and returns to Pride Rock to overthrow Scar and rescue the Pride Land. And there's all of that moment. And I kind of picture that happening here between Abraham and God. And what God comes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to expand you through your lineage, through your children. There is going to be a great nation. And I am going to bless every nation on the planet through your line. And Abraham says, I am old and my wife is old, over a hundred years old. We can't have children. And God says, I am going to give you a son and Abraham believes him. He has faith in him. And God says, the Bible says that God counted Abraham righteous because of his faith, not because he obeyed the law. You see, the law was written mostly by a man named Moses who doesn't come until 430 plus years after Abraham has died. There is no way for Abraham to achieve perfection or a right relationship with God through obeying the rules or doing the right rituals or being part of the right ceremonies. It can't happen. They don't exist. They haven't been written. God has not given that to anybody yet. And we're going to look at next week why God gave it at all when he gave it to the man Moses. It's 400 years before you can be made right by doing the right things. It's only through faith that we can receive salvation. And he says in the same way, this is beautiful, in the same way there's this likeness between this encounter with Abraham who receives faith, which is how the Jews were saved, and this encounter that every Gentile, every soul, every person can have with Jesus where they can place their faith in him and can also receive salvation. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But we must not forget. But we must not forget what it is that God has done for us. Because it's the fickleness of our brains that quickly forgets and leaves us stranded in, in spiritual wilderness. Wandering for 40 years. Sometimes, guys, sometimes an entire generation of a family will pass away before their children can walk into the promised land because the parents forgot. Sometimes a generation passes before God interacts with the generation and brings them back to faith, brings them back into the fold. We must not forget. And that's really some of the practical pieces because in the end of the day, there's a lot of great stuff in this passage, but I want to make sure that whatever we have is practical and we can take it home and we can do something with it. So what are the things that I see from this that are practical? The first one is this, don't forget. If you've been at Lux over the past couple of months and you've had a genuine encounter with God, if you feel like the Holy Spirit has touched your life, if you feel like you're being transformed and made into a new person, like we celebrate that, but it's not because we have the cameras and it's not because of my preaching. It's because of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit transforming you. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just a conduit. We're just a conduit. David's a conduit. Greg's a conduit. Johnny's a conduit. My wife, a conduit through which God is working and moving. It has nothing to do with us. And if your life is being transformed by the power of the Spirit this season, let me encourage you, don't forget because there's going to be a hard season that's going to come. There's going to be a storm. There's going to be a wilderness. There's going to be an unknown. And it will be easy to forget the goodness of God during the unknown seasons, during the time of stress. Guys, there's going to be another pandemic. And it's going to be during that time that you will risk forgetting about the goodness of God in your past because of your current circumstances. You will look around and you'll wonder if you're going to starve in the wilderness because you will forget about the miraculous way that God has treated you, provided for you, protected you, and pulled you through in the past. Do not forget. And last, and I, uh, this is really our next step this week, is pray for faith. And guys, this is the most dangerous thing that you could do. This isn't, there's some, there's some prayers out there that I say, these aren't safe prayers. These aren't safe prayers. This is not a safe prayer. 
Let me just be clear with you. This is not a safe prayer. If you pray this prayer, be ready because God might answer this prayer. This is one of those prayers that you need to be prepared. It's not like, I, I, God, give me a million bucks. I'm always prepared for God to give me a million bucks, right? But I, uh, I am rarely prepared for God to increase my faith because when I say, God, increase my faith, Father, increase my faith, do you know what happens? He doesn't just increase my faith. He gives me opportunities to trust him, which increases my faith. And when I pray, God, increase my faith, when I prayed, God, increase our faith, you know what happened? Lux. And, and, and luck seemed nuts. It seemed, it, it seemed insane. It seemed crazy, especially with two children, with two little girls, it just seemed stupid. But we prayed for faith and God gave us an opportunity to trust. And when you pray for faith, let me just tell you, there are secret places in your heart that you don't want to trust God. There are hurts in your life that you don't want to trust God with. There are hurts that you don't want to let go of. There are things that you cherish that you don't want to trust God with. And when you ask God to increase your faith, what happens is he takes the very things often, not always, but often takes the very things that you want to trust him with the least. And he asks you to trust them with him. And too often we pray for faith and we're too scared to walk in faith. We pray for faith, but we're too frightened to walk in faith. So our next step this week is a serious one. And if you're going to do it, I would say, just say it out loud. Pray it right now. Pray it right now. But if you're not prepared, don't be in a place where you're spiritually prepared because it's a serious request. It's this. Our next step is I will pray for faith this week. I will pray for faith this week. Guys, it's a scary prayer. I'm telling you. It's the most daunting and scary next step we've had here in the first three, four months of Lux's history. And, and we've had some that were challenging, but this is the most. Because when we pray for faith, God sometimes answers that prayer with a yes. And so if you ask God for faith and next week your entire world is turned upside down, just remember, I prayed for this. And now I need to walk out faith. Because once we learn to trust God and he responds providentially in our favor, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, faith is so sweet and so beautiful. It really is. My prayer for you is that you would indeed engage and pray for faith this week. That God would increase the faith of this church. Because truly the only currency in God's kingdom, it's not money, it's not power, it's not stocks, it's not popularity. The only thing that brings about stuff in God's kingdom that purchases and moves the lines forward is the faith of his people. Let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you. And I pray for those who are here tonight, who are with us, that they experience the power of your spirit and that they wouldn't forget. I don't care if they remember my sermons. I don't care if they remember the setup. I don't care if they remember the camera angles. I don't care if they remember the YouTube videos. I don't care if they remember any of that garbage. I care if they remember how the Holy Spirit impacted their lives and transformed them. I care that they remember those moments when they were indeed close to God and that they would not forget. Be with us, God, as we seek you out in faith. Give us opportunities to grow in faith this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.